One day he touched a crippled man and made him walk again. Then the master saw with pleasure he had labored not in vain. Like the story of that crippled man, I once was bound by sin, but since the master came, oh, praise his name, thank God I now can say, somebody touched me, somebody touched me, I was blind, but praise his name, I now can see.
Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We have uh, kicked off our new theme here at the church, and it's Do the Simple Well. And so last, well, the last time we met, a couple of weeks ago, we kicked off our series by addressing this issue, making it simple, making it simple. And today we want to continue with that theme and move ahead uh, in our series. And so we're going to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear... Lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Again, I want to just take a moment and help us to understand the context of the passage and where it's going. But Paul and his character were being attacked and the very confidence of those that he had spent his life reaching was now being eroded. He had taught them and he had poured his life into them and yet there were those that were coming into the midst that were seeking to undermine his authority and ultimately erode the very faith of these men and women of God. Paul would go on in the passage to admit that what he was about to do would seem rather inconsistent or out of character for him. Because see, Paul, under most circumstances, almost every, he was very quick to say we should never promote ourselves, we should never elevate ourselves, commend ourselves. If anything, we're to be humble and, 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 and very aware of that reality and need of that. But he also realized that under these extreme circumstances, he has to defend himself for the gospel's sake. He must answer a fool according to his folly. And that's exactly what he would do. See, Paul had invested selflessly and endlessly in the lives of these believers. And he did that to one end. And that one end was simply this, that he may present them a chaste virgin to Christ. This was Paul's great desire. I mean, that upon his return, the Lord's return, that Christ would find a pure bride, a pristine bride, a bride that was unscathed by the world and had not been corrupted by it. And so Paul was concerned, very concerned, even afraid that these believers might be beguiled, that they might be misled into error. He says, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul was well aware of Satan's ability to corrupt, ability to deceive, discourage, and even destroy. And he knew that he was on the prowl. And he was using others even to help him in his cause. And he did not want to see these Corinthian believers go by the wayside. He didn't want to see them lose their zeal for the Lord. And he was concerned. He had seen and read and I'm sure studied how Eve had fallen. How she had made a bad judgment, error in judgment. I mean the only weapon, if you will, in Eve's arsenal was the word of God. It was all that she needed. But unfortunately, she was unskilled in the use of the word. And as a result, she ended up being deceived. Of course, we know that Adam would eventually take and fall as well, that he would make even a bigger judgment error. He knew the truth. He failed to obey the truth. Paul was fearful, though, that like Eve, the Corinthians, 
in their love of sophistication, that they would somehow water down the word of God that he had presented to them, and they would become an easy prey to the enemy. See, it was the simplicity that is in Christ that they had to embrace. The simplicity that was in Christ. That's what they needed to embrace. That's what they needed to adopt as their theme. That's what they needed to remember when they're confronted with things that seem rather confusing. Confusing. When, it, when they were confronted with those that said they understood more, were more learned, that there was something they was missing out on. He says, no, don't, don't fall prey to that. Don't allow yourself to be deceived. No, it is the simplicity that is in the word of God. It's the simplicity of the gospel and that which is in Christ. That's what you need to focus on. So he would remind the, the Corinthians of the simplicity of the gospel and the need to keep it that way. He'd warned them consistently not to be enamored by those, again, who appeared sophisticated or those who seemed to complicate what God intended to be simple. And so from our passage, we would go on to learn a very basic principle, and here it is. Keep things simple and then do the simple well. See, life is best served by keeping it simple and then doing that simple well. Not only are we saved, but we are equally successful when we keep things simple and then do the simple well. This could be said of every area of life, by the way. Every area of life. And throughout this year, from time to time, I'm going to bring many series about the simplicity of things. For instance, we'll talk about the simplicity of marriage. And we're going to talk about how to not keep it simple, but how to do the simple well. We'll identify some simple things about marriage that we must do well. We'll talk about child rearing and raising our children, some simple things. So periodically through the year, I'll go back to this theme and remind us of the theme and focus on some specific areas that you and I would be very wise to heed and make simple and then do the simple well. Then the last time we gathered together, we, we talked about making it simple. And we said, simplicity, the reason. Why in the world would we want things to be simple? Well, first of all, simplicity pleases God, we said. Boy, I'll tell you what, simple order in our lives reflects the very nature and character of God. Then we said it promotes productivity. Simplicity promotes productivity. Simplicity allows us to focus on being productive, not simply being busy. We then said, simplicity promises purpose. I mean, often we can lose sight of our purpose, our purpose of existing. Because of the clutter and the chaos around us, we lose sight of that purpose because of so much confusion around us. And not only that, but we said finally, simplicity produces peace. Boy, simplicity removes the chaos and it replaces it with order, producing peace in our lives. Boy, how important is it that we seek after simplicity? So today I want to focus now on the next aspect of our our series, Simplicity, the Recipe. We already addressed the reason, but let's talk about simplicity, the the recipe. Maybe some things that can help us to simplify things. And so let's take just a moment, we'll have a word of prayer, 
and then we'll continue this morning. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. I thank you for so many that have gathered this snowy Sunday morning, Lord, that have weathered the weather, that they might, Father, receive what you'd have them to receive. There may be others that are watching via live stream. We pray, Lord, that their hearts would also be very fixed on the screens, that their lives, their minds their, uh, would not be distracted. Lord, we ask you, Father, to do a work in our hearts now. Bless us and protect us. And Lord, may you just keep the devil out that we may truly be able to focus in on what you have for us. Now, Father, we need you today. And Lord, if there be any that are lost without Jesus Christ, may they be saved this morning. May they recognize their need of a Savior and then trust and receive him. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Simplicity, the recipe. Well, you know, life is not complicated. I know many will tell you, oh, it's so complicated. Life doesn't need to be complicated. You know what? We are complicated. Or should I say, we complicate pretty much everything. That is the reality. Life itself doesn't have to be complicated because it's not necessarily complicated. We have a tendency to complicate almost everything. Because simplifying in our lives is so important, I want to offer three suggestions how to do it. Today we'll probably get to the first. First of all, if we're going to simplify, we need to eliminate clutter. You have to eliminate clutter. It's been said simplicity is about subtracting the obvious and adding the meaningful. It wasn't that long ago, just a a few weeks ago, that... um, my wife may not like me telling this story. I don't know. It's, I'm really, it's not an indictment on her housekeeping. <clears throat> but we were supposed to be taking the singles out. Uh, my wife and I take care of the singles class, uh, the young singles in our church, and we were headed out ice skating that day. And so in order to go ice skating, obviously, you're going to be outside, outdoors quite a bit. And so we started looking for some gloves for me. I needed a pair of gloves. I was going to be out in the elements, and it was kind of chilly that night. It was cold, and I wanted to make sure that I was uh, dressed properly. So we had all the gloves stored away in the closet, and the, there was a box in the top of the closet. All, everything was in that box on a shelf. And so Sharon and I started going through the box to, find an, uh, to, to, to try to find a pair of gloves for me. And along the way... Uh, we, we, we started pulling gloves out one by one. You know how that goes. They just kind of all kind of have, I don't know, just accumulated through the years. And so uh, this glove and that glove, and boy, I like that glove. Let me put that here. Give me the match for that one. And then she gives me another glove, and then she gives me another glove, and I'm looking at them, and she's like, well, what's your, match those up. I said, they don't match. None of them are a match. She's like, what do you mean they're not a match? Three, three separate gloves and not one of them matches? I said, they're, both, they're all three right-handers. <laughs> I mean, I'm not lying to you here. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to, I'm not, it's not that I don't like them. They're all righties. I can't. And, and so we kept looking and looking and we had to dig through that and there were hats in there and there was, there was gl- more gloves in there and we went through this whole box. I mean, it was rather cluttered. We did finally find a couple of pairs of gloves in the end, and uh, they were quite, quite good. They worked well. Everything was fine. But let me tell you something. I, I took those, those three gloves for sure that had no left-hand uh, matches and threw them all away. Why? Because I wanted to get rid of the clutter because the next time i got to go looking for a pair of gloves. I don't want to have to sort through all that mess. Right? 
I mean, it made, it'll make it so much simpler to find a pair of gloves now because I got rid of what? The clutter. And again, that's not an indictment. I mean, it's just a little box up there. I mean, obviously, the rest of it's immaculate. <laughs> Simply immaculate. <laughs> Some of you ladies are going, good save, preacher. But anyway, but, but that box was just cluttered, and I wanted to undo. We undid the clutter. We got rid of things we didn't want in the box. And boy, I'll tell you what, next time, everything will be so much simpler. You know, as believers, we can find ourselves overwhelmed with clutter in our lives. That clutter muddies the water and it clouds our pathway. And as we said earlier in one of our other situations, we said it can cut down our productivity. It can cloud our purpose. It can cost us peace in our lives. So what can we do about that? Well, we have to remove the clutter. Sometimes, and and I'm going to talk clutter. You know what some of the clutter is in our lives? Too many voices. There are too many voices in our lives. You say, well, what do you mean? I'm glad you asked. It's been, excuse me, it, it, when we are listening to too many voices, we elude, simplicity eludes us. I mean, if you want simplicity in your life, if that's what you're really seeking, then you're going to have to eliminate the many voices that you hear and the many voices that you heed. Again, so many voices today. So many views, so many opinions, so many perspectives. I mean, we've got the voice of the left. The voice of the, the right, the voice of the media today. We got the voice of parents and the voice of a teacher. Uh, we got religious leaders with their voices. We have the voice of friends and relatives and acquaintances. We got the voice of athletes, actors, and activists. We got the voices of Facebook, Twitter, and all oh, those blogs. We got the voice of the internet, YouTube, politicians, and protesters. I mean, voices galore. Everywhere we turn, voices, voices, more, bombarding us on every side. While writing to the Corinthians concerning the apostolic gift of tongues, the Apostle Paul writes something. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 7 through 8. It's interesting. We've, we've spoken about it in the past, but remember when we uh, talked about um, uh, Lazarus and the tomb and how Jesus went there to seek out Lazarus, and he had been dead for four days, and he was dead. Jesus even said he was dead. And so for four days, he had been in the tomb, and in that tomb, uh, Martha says, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, he, you know, he stinketh. I mean, that's how long he's been in the tomb. And what did Jesus say? He didn't say, all right, back up, everybody. Lazarus, come forth. And the stone goes, the grave clothes go, and he comes out going, how's everybody doing? That ain't how it went. What did he do? He had them remove the stone. See, they could do that. He didn't have to do what they could do. They could take off the grave clothes. They could do that. They didn't need him to supernaturally do that. They couldn't raise him from the dead. You say, why are you telling us that story? Because we're dealing with a situation in 1 Corinthians 14 that causes tremendous confusion in the church today. Tongues. Let me, ask, let, me, let me say this. There was an apostolic gift of the tongues. 
It was necessary. It was needful when the church began uh, at Pentecost at that point. When, and I say began. We know it began with Christ. But I'm saying when it was empowered at Pentecost. The goal was to reach the world with the gospel. But we needed a major kickoff at that point. There were so few disciples. There were so many that needed reach. And let me tell you something. There the day of Pentecost. There weren't enough people there that could have translated to make the gospel clear and plain. God had to supernaturally intervene. And he gave them tongues. He did what man could not do at that point to accomplish his purpose and goal. And what I guess I'm saying to you is this. We do not need tongues today. You don't need them. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I haven't needed tongues to witness to anybody in America yet. I've needed some folks in our Spanish ministry to help me from time to time. But we have people that can do that too because we can learn a language. And we're not pressed for time the way they were then. It was important, it was imperative that the gospel blow up and go from this area to so many others immediately. And it did because of tongues. The need is not there. And that's why what we can do, God will not do for us. And may I say, you can learn a language and go anywhere in the world and preach the gospel today. You don't need the gift of tongues to do it. And as long as you can, God won't. We're waiting for God to do things that he's already empowered us to do. We're waiting for God to do things in our lives, in our families, in our relationships, and in our world that already he's empowered us to do. And we wonder why it's not being done. Maybe because we're not doing it. This is one of those areas. Now listen, I say to you that because I don't want you to get sidetracked in the midst of the message going, now you know what that's interesting about those tongues? I'm going to think about that while he's preaching. Now let me tell you something. Tongues may come back into vogue again one day when he begins to deal with Israel, but I'm going to tell you right now, he doesn't need them while he's dealing with the Gentile church. It's not necessary. That's why they're not needed. They're not here. Someone says, well, I speak in tongues. Go ahead. I use my tongue to speak, but I don't need tongues to speak the gospel. And, and I'm not going to get into all the details. Uh, that they were a sign, and the Jew requires a sign, according to 1 Corinthians 1.22, not the Gentile. There's a lot of reasons. I'll maybe preach on that someday and give you all some of just a kind of a good handful of reasons. But right now, let's move on here. We see here in 1 Corinthians 14, notice he's addressing and discussing this issue of the gift of tongues, this apostolic gift. And the Apostle Paul makes a statement in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 14. And even these things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds... How shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? I think that's important again. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? See, the Israelites of old were summoned to battle by the voice of a trumpet. I mean, that trumpet was distinct. It was recognizable above all other sounds. I don't care what was going on. It doesn't matter if they were being overrun with the enemy. They could hear that trumpet. It was so distinct. Not only that, but it was so definite in its, its calling or its sounding. They knew exactly based on what they heard, exactly what the instruction was to do. For instance, it would direct the people. It would mobilize the people. They assembled, they moved, they attacked based on the distinct sound of the trumpet. See, there is so much noise in the world, and at times, too much noise in our lives. There's too many voices, too many people telling us what's right and what's wrong, what we should think and how we should think, and where we should go and what we should do. So many voices in the world. And you know what? We have to eliminate the clutter. 
We're listening to too many different people. We are listening to too many opinions, outlooks, and views. Too often, even as believers, we're allowing ourselves to be, to be, to be moved and motivated by other than scriptural voices. Someone says, well, you know what I understand? Uh, someone says, well, there's, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, preacher. I agree with you. However, the Bible would have each of our counselors grounded on the same foundation. And that foundation is Christ. The counsel's to be pointed. It's to be godly counsel. The counsel should bring us to a general consensus of opinion. But it ought to be a consensus of opinion that is based on the word of God. Not every voice in the world. Now listen, you can listen to any counsel you choose, but if you hope to come to the correct consensus, you have to listen only to godly counsel. That means you're going to have to remove the clutter or those, or particularly uh, particularly remove the counselors whose position is not rooted in biblical principle then. Too many voices again. It brings confusion. When we place equal value on all opinions, no matter the source, you, you and I are bound for confusion. It's just going to happen. James chapter 1, verse 6, 6 through 8 says this, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. May I say to you today that instability breeds confusion. And the fact is, is that we better be careful how many voices we are listening to Because we can become quickly double-minded. We start to question, is this right or is this wrong? Is this good or is this bad? I'm not talking about the normal questions of life. I'm talking about we jump on the internet and we have an opinion, we have a place, and we've been rooted in it growing up in our our homes, our mamas and daddies and our preachers and our leaders and our church uh, 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 staffs have said, this is what the Bible teaches, this is what the Bible says. And we said, you know what, I see it for myself, I believe it for myself. And then we jump on the internet and we start digging into all these other people's opinions, their ideas and their philosophies, and we walk away double-minded. We wonder why we're so confused and have no peace in our life. Too many voices. Too many voices. Confusion only complicates and it never simplifies. Pilate was in a mess. Should he release Jesus or not? So many voices. I mean, on one hand, he was being pressured by the Jewish leaders. He was being relied upon by the Roman hierarchy. He was being coerced and compelled by the crowd who would cry, crucify him, crucify him. And his own voice within said, I find no fault in him. So many voices and so much confusion. What's he to do? How does he decide? I mean, everyone has an opinion, yet it's only going to be Pilate who's going to live with his choice. He's the only one that has to live with the choice, so to speak. It's his to make. And it's his to live. I know his choice will affect many. But he's the one that lives with making the choice. See, everyone has an opinion. And this confusion placed him in a state of conflict. There was no peace where he stood that day. Sadly, this is where many believers stand today. 
no peace. Giving equal authority to all the voices. We haven't determined whose voice is the most important voice. Which voice, desi- de- 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 which voice should have the most authority, the most weight in our life? We struggle with that at times. And that leads to confusion and conflict. See, sim- simplicity requires us to narrow down the voices. We can't afford to listen to everybody equally. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man that hath friends must shew himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I have entered into a very unique and a very special relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the Bible tells us that one aspect of that relationship is that he is our friend. Not only is he our creator God, but he is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's an amazing relationship that you and I can have with God himself. When I think about all the people that I can allow to shape my thoughts and shape my opinions and my ideologies, I I can't think of anyone better than my God, my Savior, Jesus Christ, to shape them. His voice and his words should carry far more weight than anyone else's in my life, I would think. Let me ask you, whose voice do you hear above all the rest? Is there, there, is there that, every one of us probably have that trumpet in our life that we hear above all the rest of the confusion. I wonder, is it mom? Is it dad? Is it our teachers? Is it our, our, our uh, pastor? Is it possibly ourselves? Is it someone that we follow in a blog? Is it someone we follow on the internet? Is it somebody that we tweet with or that we're on Facebook with? Is it our friends? Who is it? Whose voice is the trumpet in your life? May I say today that that trumpet ought to be none other than Jesus Christ and him only. Otherwise, you will have confusion in your life as a believer. Complete and total confusion. When that trumpet sounded in Israel, the people heard and were prepared to move. Are you tuned into that voice, that trumpet, the Lord Jesus, so that at any moment he sounds... You're prepared to move. Simplicity will only be found when we care less about what the world has to say and more about what God's word says. That's the only time simplicity will be found in the believer's life. You boil it down. The bottom line is this. Who are you listening to? Because if you're not listening to him as a believer, there is nothing but utter confusion and conflict in your life. It is that simple. We can dismiss all the other voices and direct our attention and desire to the word of God. And in doing so, we will find simplicity. When it comes to your marriage, child rearing, church involvement, moral outlook, or your life philosophies. Whose voice carries the most weight in your life will determine whether or not those provide peace or chaos in your life. Too many voices too many voices. Who are you listening to today? Who are you listening to today? I, uh, I, I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to have to do it quickly. But also too many options. Too many options. 
When Henry Ford came out with the Model T, he offered only one color. One color. Now, that may be boring for sure, but it definitely made the choosing process very simple. You know what I mean? Uh, what color do you want, honey? What color do you want? I think I'll take the black. What color do you want? I'll take the black. Great. I mean, that was simple, right? We had an ice cream stand up the street called the Tasty Freeze when I was a kid. It offered chocolate, vanilla, and from time to time, a special flavor. Man, I mean to tell you, uh, I warred with what to get. I was a chocolate fiend. I love chocolate. You know, you can keep the vanilla. But then every once in a while, they would introduce one of those special ones. Do I want? No, that's like that chocolate. That, I don't know, man. I'd like to try that. I, I mean, I'd stand up there five minutes trying to figure out which one I wanted. I mean, can you imagine my dismay when I heard about Baskin Robbins and their 31 flavors? I was a basket case. Put me in a rubber room, please. Options are not inherently wrong. Uh, that's not what I'm saying in any way. But at times, you know, options can complicate matters. See, sometimes too many options really has a tendency to bring conflict in our life, especially as believers. Over in the book of Genesis, and I'm not going to ask you to turn because of time, but in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, we're dealing with Abram. And it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will shew thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless thee, with that bless, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Abraham was a, was a good man. And it appears, uh, he appears to have been leading a rather comfortable life. At least that's the impression we get. I, I mean, it wasn't like he was starving. It wasn't like he was pinching pennies. He was doing pretty good for himself, it seems, and his family. I mean, he was surrounded by his family, surrounded by friends. He had a good job, a promising future. At least that's the impression we get. And yet God comes along one day and tells him, guess what? It's time for you to move. He tells him to leave his country, leave his family, leave every bit of security that he had built over the years. He was tasked with taking his wife and embarking on an adventure to who knows where. Matter of fact, the Bible says, a land that I will shew thee. You go ahead and obey me and step out by faith, then I will reveal to you where I want you to plant your life, where I want you to end up. But not until... Can you imagine the many questions his family and his friends had for him? Well, that doesn't make sense. God wouldn't ask, tell you to leave your family. God wouldn't tell you to leave your country. God wouldn't tell you to leave the security of a job. God wouldn't tell you to do that. Are you kidding me? Come on, Abram. Wake up, bro. He's like, uh, hey, I'm just telling you. I, I don't, all I know is what God told me. I got to believe that Ab Abram, he had some questions. God, what are you going to do with my wife? What's going to happen with my future? God, what are you going to do? Where am I going to land? What's going to happen? Will I, I, could, be, I could be killed on the, on, the, on, the, on the journey itself. I mean, I'm sure he had a ton of questions, concerns, even fears. The truth is that amidst the many questions, concerns, and fears, however, it boiled down to one thing, obedience. Will he obey or not? Staying was not an option. 
Commuting was not an option. Postponing the trip was not an option. As complicated as making this move may have appeared to others, it was really very simple for Abraham. All I have to do is obey. I either obey or I disobey. That's the only choice I need to make. There's not a bunch of choices. Do I stay here a while longer? Do I decide to put God off? Do I do this, do this, do this? No. Simple. Will you obey or not? Simple choice. Simple option. You know what? When you and I are convinced what the Bible, when we are convinced that the Bible is the word of God, and and it is indeed the word of God, it's the voice of God to you and I, and we are determined to obey him no matter what, then life becomes much simpler. Oh man, does it become simpler. Simplicity, excuse me, simplify by doing right. Just obey God. Simplicity is found in obedience. I'm telling you, it's not complicated. Obedience eliminates the many options that complicate life. Obey God and life becomes simple overnight. And I mean that. Obey your parents and life becomes simple overnight, teenager. Obey your teachers and obey the leadership of your school and school becomes simple overnight. I'm not saying that it's not easy. I'm not saying the courses won't be tough, but you won't have all that conflict. You'll know exactly what you ought to do because they're telling you what you need to do. You don't have to go, well, I don't know if I want to do that homework assignment. I don't know if I'm going to do that. I'm going to wait till I do this one, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to study for this test. They're telling you to study, so study. I promise you it'll make your life less complicated. How many of you have, have gone out without studying to a test and sat in the classroom freaking out because you knew you are going to funk that test if God doesn't supernaturally intervene? I still remember praying, oh God, help me to remember things I did not study. (laughs) Boy, was my life complicated and was I under stress and pressure. Man, the weight of the world was on me. And I knew if I took took one of my my, my, uh, report cards home and it didn't have a good grade on it, I was going to have to face my dad. And my dad wasn't a nice dad like the dads are today. He's going to do what was necessary to realign my thinking. And he usually started at the other end. So I had to get this thing right. Complicated, confusion, not simple anymore because I wasn't doing what I was told to do. I didn't say that obeying is ever simple necessarily. It's not always easy, but it's important. Teenager, make your mom and dad's voice the most important in your life. Now listen, I know some of you, I should make God my You know what? God says you have to obey your parents and you have to honor them. So guess what? You ought to start obeying them. That'd be a good thing to do. You can't be right with God if you're not obeying your parents. Well, what if they ask me to do something unscriptural? They say, we're taking vacation and it's going to cut into church time. You go on vacation. You just do what you're told. Argue with your parents. You can talk to them and you try to reason with them. But if they say enough, said, just do what I tell you. You go, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Let's do it. It'll, I'm telling you, your lives will be less complicated. Make your mom and dad's rules, your rules. Got to be in at a certain time? That's what I'm going to do. Simple. Well, what about this situation? What about, no, just be in on time. Do what they tell you. Make their voice the most important. Make your mom and dad's rules, your rules. Make pleasing them your first priority, and you will find that life becomes infinitely more simple. And by the way, Christians, let's make the Bible our most important voice. I mean, most important voice. Make our master, make his commands our duty. 
Make pleasing God our first priority. And what we will find is when we do that, life becomes infinitely more simple. You know why there's so much confusion in our lives? Because we're listening to too many voices and we're allowing too many options to stand in our way. We just need to have simple obedience. Man, God's word outlines how we ought to live, act, and think. And yet we're listening to too many people tell us different. Whether it's the television or whether it's the internet or whatever it might be, videos of sorts or this or that or whatever, we're listening to too many voices. We're allowing ourselves to be influenced by too many people that do not have the right principles, the right priorities. And it's creating conflict in our life. Simplicity, we need it. It's imperative. Simplifying is as easy as identifying what's most important to you and then eliminating as much as you possibly can of everything else. Identify what's most important to you and then eliminate as much as you possibly can of everything else. As believers, life becomes so much simpler when we make God's word our authority and we make up our minds to obey it at all costs. You're going to find your marriage does work better if you do it God's way. I'm not asking you, did you try it? I'm saying, do you do it? You're going to find that raising your children works so much better if you do it God's way. I didn't say, did you try it? Are you doing it? Life becomes so much simpler when we simply obey God. It's amazing how much simpler life is. You don't have to ask yourself, should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go here? Should I go there? God outlines it. He makes it clear. There are times that it gets a little more complicated, but that's when you do have spiritual leaders in your life that can help to narrow down the options and move the clutter of voices away. Simple obedience will make your life simple. Are you obeying your master today, believer? If you're lost today, let me tell you, it's not complicated to have or begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to him, obey him. Just come to him in faith, believing that he died for you on the cross to pay for your sin. You and I are sinners today for all sin that comes short of the glory of God. But the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you, you can have everlasting life. You can live with the God of, the God of your, create, your creator God the rest of eternity. You don't have to fear being separated from God, spending one moment in a place called hell. You can live with the Lord in his abode, his presence forever. And it begins with a relationship that you start today, a time when you cry out to him, recognizing yourself a sinner and saying, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm asking you right now, the best I know how to come into my life be my Savior. Forgive my sin. He'll do just that. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Confusion in your life. Simplify your life. Come to Christ and let him lead and guide you. Make the word of God the voice you choose. His rules, his word, his leadership, priority. 
Let it be the trumpet that you hear most. Identify it and then listen to it in the midst of all the voices. And simply choose to obey him above all others, making him your priority. His word, his commands. Father, we come to you.